the family Door Creek Church. The call to walk across the room to point someone toward faith. The reality, for some, it is a moment in the space-time continuum that will bring sheer terror and entrance into a zone of unknown consequence. Door Creek Church, you are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of opportunity, but of salvation and eternity. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the mystery of the Holy Spirit. At the signpost up ahead, your next stop, the Zone of the Unknown. Thank you, Rod Sterling. Good morning, everyone. These are exciting days. And, you know, I'm catching up with that crew down in Guatemala. I leave tomorrow and going to spend a week there. And then a week from tomorrow, I catch another plane back to New Orleans and catch up with the crew in New Orleans and hopefully swing a hammer or do whatever to help with the relief work going on down there. So I'll see you in two weeks but I'm really excited to, to leave here and join the others that are going to be serving literally around the world. And I'm also really excited to get this series going. We've been talking about it. Now it's time to come and for us together to walk across the room. And I don't know if you know this, but the kids downstairs this weekend began a four-week study on walk across the room. And this week, our middle school students and our high school students are beginning this series, this study. So all of us together, church-wide, I don't know if we've ever done this before, but all of us studying the same thing, walking across the room, simple steps to pointing people to faith in Christ. Now, when you think about that word evangelism, that concept of sharing your faith, I'm sure if you're honest, it can bring out the cold sweats in us. I mean, it makes us really nervous and fearful. And the reason I know that is because for a lot of years, I've taught about spiritual gifts. And there's this interesting dynamic that goes on when people discover that they do, most likely that they don't have the gift of evangelism. Like there's this look of relief that comes across their faith like, whew, man, I thought I had that gift because, man, that thing freaks me out. So I know it does that. It, It scares us. The dominant emotion can definitely be fear. But I want the dominant emotion in these next four weeks to move from fear to excitement we get to do this, that God is going to give me grace to take a step across the room to engage someone where they're at to point them to God's Son, Jesus Christ. So as we begin this study, I want you to think about this really interesting fact. And the interesting fact is that when God calls us to himself into a relationship and we place our faith in Christ, that he leaves us here. I mean, why wouldn't he just like beam us right up to heaven and say, good, you got it? Now you're in. Come enjoy life in heaven. Why does he leave us here? You ever thought about that? There's a story in Mark's gospel, the fifth chapter, about this wild man. I mean, he was a wild man. This guy was completely out of his mind. He was possessed by thousands of demons, the Bible tells us. He's running around some tombs. He's cutting himself. And the townspeople don't know what to do with this guy. Jesus meets him. They're on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And he completely transforms this man as he casts out these demons. And there's an interesting dialogue that takes place when Jesus asks the demons, what is your name? And they respond, our name is Legion, which means there's a lot of them. And and the demons say, Jesus, before you cast us out of the man, will you grant us permission to go into that herd of swine right over there in the countryside? 
And Jesus grants their requests. They enter the swine. Some 2,000, the scriptures tell us, that then plunge headlong over the cliff into the sea and they drown. Well, this didn't go over really big with the town folk. In fact, the town folk come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we liked our town just how it was before you got here. You've really been messing with our economy. We just lost 2,000 head of swine here, and we'd like you to leave. And Jesus grants their requests. And on the way out, the man that he cast the demon out of, now dressed in his right mind, comes to Jesus and says, Lord, will you let me go with you? And for the first time, Jesus asked a question, and he denies the request. He says, no, I don't want you to go with me. Here's what he says in Mark's gospel, fifth chapter, verse 9. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. In effect, Jesus says, now I want you to come with me. I want you now to walk across the room. I want you to walk back into town and go tell your family about me and about my mercy. And that's the mission of each of his followers, to go and to tell. And that's why we're still here. That's why he hasn't beamed us up yet, because there's others that he wants us to engage to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. You and I have the opportunity in our lifetime to give people the single, single greatest gift that they could ever receive. And that is to introduce them to the God who made them, the God who loves them, who sent his only son to die for them. And that introduction to the God of this universe could be as simple as a walk across the room. Now, if we're going to give that greatest gift. Here's what we need to learn as we begin our journey in this series. First of all, that we need to follow Christ's example and leave our comfort zone. And if we're going to follow Christ's example, then we need to follow the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit that we would keep in step with Christ's Spirit now living within us. And then that we just have to step out in faith and start walking, engaging people where they are living and sharing the good news. So let's look at this first concept. If we want to give the greatest gift, we need to follow Christ's example. And Christ took the ultimate walk across the room when he left the comforts of heaven to come down here on this earth. God says this in Isaiah 66, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Now that's where Christ had eternally resided, eternally. He never didn't live in heaven. And and then we read in the scriptures that he comes from heaven, he's born in a manger. And you think about the distance. So just listen to these numbers. The sun, 92 million miles from us right here. Traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take us eight minutes to get there. We go, that's pretty fast travel. For that long of a distance. Now think about Alpha Centauri, the nearest star in our galaxy, at 27 trillion miles away. That trip is a four and a half light year trip. Then I want you to consider what it'd be like to travel from one end of the Milky Way to the other, to, to, to travel our galaxy. That trip is a 600,000 trillion mile trip. It would take us 100,000 light years 
And finally, if you could look out through the Hubble telescope and see the furthest thing that can be seen right now, scientists tell us that is 18 billion light years away. And all I can tell you is I don't have any idea how far that is. All I know is it's really far. It's a long way out there. But what shouldn't grab our hearts this morning is it shouldn't be the physical distance, whatever it was, because I'm not here to tell you exactly where heaven is. I just know it's somewhere beyond this universe. The amazing thing that ought to grip us is not the distance he traveled, but what he did when he took on human flesh. Listen to what the scriptures tell us about Jesus' descent here on this earth, which is far greater than a physical passage of space and time. Philippians 2, we already read it, but let's read it again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this is God's son, who we read in scriptures has everything to do with the creation of this universe, who we know from scriptures is at the center of heaven's worship and praise. This one who's always existed in a perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit, he humbles himself by taking on human flesh, by entering this fallen world, by being born in a stinky feeding trough of all places in this in this obscure town called Bethlehem, in the midst of the rocks and the rubble of Palestine. And not only did he become a man, but he humbled himself even further to become a servant. And not only did he humble himself by being a servant, but he went through the ultimate humiliation by hanging suspended between heaven and earth, impaled on a Roman cross. Jesus Christ took the ultimate walk for you and for me. It was his mission. He says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was on a rescue mission. And that rescue mission had you and me in view. John writes that this word, speaking of Christ and using the metaphor of a word to explain what Jesus is like, this one who comes that communicates what God is like, the word who was God and was with God, this word that brought everything in this universe into existence became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, John writes, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John tells us that when Jesus gave a glimpse of his glory there on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he just kind of pulled back the curtain to say, this is what I'm like if I wasn't veiled in human flesh, that Matthew says in Matthew 17, when they saw Jesus, his face was shining like the sun. And we read in the scriptures that in heaven there will be no sun because heaven will be eternally lit with the brilliance of Christ's glory. This is the one who left the comforts of heaven to pursue you and me 
as he walked across the universe, the galaxies for us. Now, when you think of Christ's life here on earth, what you have here is a series of stories where time and time again we see Jesus walking across the room. Walking across the room. Engaging people right where they were at. Intentionally doing that. So we meet him leaning against the the well there. Engaging in a conversation with the woman. It starts just talking about a drink of water that ends up talking about eternal waters and how he could give her something that would make her never thirst again at the core of her being and her life is transformed. Just to walk across the room when he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree and he says, hey, Zach, how about you and I do dinner tonight? I walk across the room. When he met blind Bartimaeus who was begging in Jericho on the side of the road, his life forever changed. I walk across the room as he engaged those fishermen mending their nets. Matthew at the tax table collecting his taxes. You think about the widow of Nain as Jesus walks across the room and, she, and he sees this widow who's now in a funeral procession and the boy in the coffin is her son. And Jesus walks up and raises her son from the dead and her life is never the same. There was that man at the pool of Bethesda. He's been lying at the pool at the side of the waters there for 38 years, hoping that when the water stirred, someone would put him in the waters to be healed. And Jesus walks up to him and he asks him the profound question, do you want to get better? And he says, I do. He says, take up your pallet and walk. Throughout his life, as we read about on the pages of scriptures, we see Jesus walking across rooms, engaging people intentionally with the love of God. And Christ's walk ultimately led him to the cross. It cost him his life. And here's the profound thing to think about. When was it that Jesus began to pursue us? And the scriptures tell us this, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's when he did it. When we weren't very lovely, he didn't say, now listen, my fear, clean yourself up, work on this self-improvement project that you're working on, get a little better, you're almost there now. You just get up a few more notches and then I'll meet you halfway. Now the scriptures say we want anything to do with God. We were rejecting him, whether we knew it or not, rebelling against his rule in our life. It was at that time that he pursued us. And John writes in 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And so Jesus took the ultimate walk. And the appropriate response to hearing this good news is that we would believe it. That Jesus came to die, that you and I might live. And when we place our faith in what Christ has done, his good work on the cross, we find peace and forgiveness and eternal life. And the second response to believing it is to do what he told that guy in Mark chapter 5. Go and tell others about it. Share and live the good news through a joyful witness. So we are called to imitate Christ. And if we're going to imitate Christ, we're going to need the help of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
the Spirit of Christ to prompt us and to lead us. Now, here's what we know in the Scriptures about the Spirit, that when we place our faith in Christ, that Christ grants us His Spirit to take residence in our life. This is mysterious, it is spiritual, and yet it's real. And that Spirit testifies within our own heart that we belong to God as He takes up residence. And we're called to be filled with the Spirit and for the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our life. The the verses Steve read from Galatians 5, love and joy and peace and all the rest to start demonstrating in our life and being manifest in our life. We're to be filled with the Spirit. And what we note in Scripture is this. There's a connection between walking across the room and having the Spirit's power in our life. So right before Jesus leaves and ascends into heaven, he says, hey, guys, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to take it to the streets of Jerusalem and then take it beyond Jerusalem. Go to Judea. And then take it out to Samaria. Even the Samaritans, the half-breeds, the ones that people have hated for a long time, you take the good news to them and take it out to the ends of the earth. But he said, before you go, you go to Jerusalem and you wait for my spirit. And here's what he said, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we know from Scripture is that God's children are led by God's Spirit. So Romans 8 puts it this way. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, we have new life through this Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's what Jesus did. You read in the beginning of his ministry, the Spirit leads him on this retreat, 40 days of fasting and praying in the wilderness, led by the Spirit. You start chasing the work of the early church in the book of Acts, and you see that constantly the Spirit is leading the way. So in in Acts chapter 8, remember the story? There's a guy named Philip. The Spirit says to Philip, Hey, Philip, there's this guy. He's just been to Jerusalem. He's from Ethiopia, though. He's heading back home. He's in his chariot. He's reading about the suffering servant in Isaiah, and he doesn't get it. You go, and you tell that man the good news, that Jesus Christ is the suffering servant that he's reading about. And that man's life is forever changed. Chapter 10, there's a guy named Peter, one of Christ's followers. And the angel of the Lord and the Spirit's working in Jesus, in Peter's life, in such a way that he says, Peter, there's going to be some guys coming. They're servants of this man named Cornelius. He's a centurion of the Roman army, and he wants to talk to you. I'm working in his life, and I want you to go walk across the room and meet this guy. In Acts chapter 13, as Paul and Barnabas are going out for the first time in this missionary journey to get the good news out to the ends of the earth, it's the Spirit that led them. In Acts chapter 16, there's an interesting thing that happens. In in verse 6 of chapter 16, it's the Spirit who says, Paul, I know you think I want you to go this place. I don't want you to go there. I want you to go over here. The Spirit's leading him by telling him not to go somewhere. In the very end of the book, in chapter 20, Paul says, the Spirit of Christ is compelling me to go back to Jerusalem. 
And he's heard about the prophecies. If he goes back there, he's going to be arrested and he's going to die. And he says, even though I may enter harm's way, I'm going because the Spirit's leading. We got to follow the lead of the Spirit. The psalmist writes this beautiful prayer in Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious Spirit lead me forward on firm footing. What a beautiful prayer that we begin to pray. Holy Spirit, lead me. Help me to be sensitive to your leading in my life, to people that you want me to engage this week with the good news. I think it was the leading of the Spirit that had everything to do with this next story. And this story was a story that Bill Hybels heard that got him thinking about this whole concept of a walk across the room and hence his series, his book, and and our study in it together. He tells of a time he's at this dinner party. People are going around the table introducing themselves. There's this African-American man. He's got a Muslim name. He's this big linebacker of a guy. And he says to Bill across the table, I love your books. And I was wondering, who in the world is he talking to? Realize he's talking to him. After their dinner, he meets this guy and he hears his story. So this is the Muslim man's story. He says, in my profession, I'm always going to these cocktail parties. It's one of the gigs of the job. You got to go. You work the crowd, you work your business contacts. And for me as an African-American, it's not usually a good thing, especially as a Muslim. So, you know, it's a little bit of small talk. I, I do my time, so to speak. Then I'm usually off to the edges. And before anybody knows it, I've kind of slipped out of the room, gone back home, gone up to my room. On one of those nights, some guy who was engaged with the conversation with many others, feeling very much at ease in that conversation, saw me standing by myself, kind of picking at my hors d'oeuvres, and he came over and he introduced himself to me. Stuck out his hand, and we engaged in this conversation. We began on the trivial things of our profession and sports, and then it got into our families. And finally, the subject of faith came up. I said, I didn't know what this guy was going to think when I mentioned I was a Muslim. Usually, it just shuts down the conversation real quick. But I'll never forget what he said. He said to me, well, that's interesting. I'm a Christ follower. But I know almost nothing about the Muslim faith and what it means to, to follow the tenets of Islam. Would you mind having a cup of coffee with me and explaining it later this week over breakfast? And so they set up that meeting which led to a series of meetings. And over months, these two developed a friendship. And it struck the man, the African-American man, that he'd been doing all the talking. And so one day at breakfast, he turned the tables and he said, well, you may not know this, but I actually grew up in a Christian family. But I turned my back on the Christian faith for a lot of reasons. But why don't you remind me again the foundations, the roots of the Christian faith? And so this man, with lots of grace, shared the wonderful story. The story of God's love for us in Christ and how Christ came and lived a perfect life and how he died on the cross for our sins, rescuing us from judgment, from death, and from hell. And when this man heard the story, like he'd never heard it before, he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. 
And his life, he tells Bill, has never been the same. And I was just thinking now, listening to this story, it all began with someone stepping out of their comfort zone and doing something as simple as walking across the room, extending a hand, and engaging in a conversation, prompted by the Holy Spirit. We want to give that greatest gift, then we've got to follow Christ and imitate Him. We've got to keep in step with His Spirit. And friends, we've got to just start walking. Now here's a video of this little girl who's just starting to walk in, and I'll, it'll bring a smile to your face as you see this. Show Daddy. Go walk to Daddy. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> she did it. <laughs> you ready? You ready? Oh, look at you. Look at you. You're a big girl now. <laughs> yeah, look at you. Oh. Do you think this might be their first child? You know, seeing that video is a good reminder to us as we go out with the good news, walking across the room, engaging people right where they are. It reminds us that, you know, walking didn't just happen, did it? It, 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 took, it took some effort, took some repeated tries, and sometimes we wiped out like that little girl and clunked her head on the, uh, on the wall there. Easy for Dad to say you're okay. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's good to remember that. Walking took practice. You know, we're going to take some steps this week, and and maybe it won't go so well. That's all right. It didn't go so well when we started walking either. Another good thing to remember is it was a lot easier to teach our kids to walk when we gave them our little finger, wasn't it? And they just have a little something to hang on to. I think that's a reminder. It's good to walk together. It's good to, to be prayed for as we take those steps. Good for some of us who've been walking across the room for a while to just kind of remind those who've never done it what it looks like. It's good to remember that we have a father that cheers us on, just like this guy behind the camera. Man, was he a proud daddy. You you didn't have to to see his face to be able to describe it. It was all smiles, wasn't it? So proud of his little girl. And our Heavenly Father is so pleased as we start taking steps for him. What a great thing to remember. Now, pull out the sheet that's in your bulletin if you haven't already. I want you to write down some things as we move to this whole practical area now of stepping out. And as you're pulling that out and grabbing a pencil, uh, I I hope that image of that little girl jumping up and down, hanging onto the stool, reminds you too of the joy that learning to walk like this can bring to you and to others. All right, here's the first word I want you to put down. Pray, pray. Want to bring this message home? That's the first thing we need to do. We need to pray. And this week, I want you to begin praying for two people that God's placed in your life, that he's placing in your heart, on your heart right now, and you start praying for these people. 
You pray that God would make you willing, first of all, to walk across the room. You pray for opportunities to encourage, to show interest, to help out. You you pray for God to draw them to himself. Jesus said this amazing thing in John 6, 44. And write that verse down and pray for it. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so you pray, God, you're putting this person in my life, but at the end of the day, you've got to work in their heart to make them ready. So do that, Lord. Draw them. Now you think about praying. You know, a lot of times we think about keeping our eyes closed when we pray. But now the second thing is open your eyes, look. Look for opportunities. And look for the people that maybe you've never seen. And it's a funny thing, isn't it? We are such creatures of habit. My guess is you're not very far from the same place you sat in the last time you were in this room, right? And we we just have these habits and we travel these paths and we kind of look the same way. And then all of a sudden, something catches our attention and we look a different way and we go, huh, I've never seen that before. I, I've never seen that before. Can't believe how many times I've traveled down this road. Never seen it. And this week, as you open your eyes, you're going to go, I never saw that before. I, I never even thought about that person. And I think that's one of the people God wants me to pray for. Walk across the room for. You look. And then finally, you step out. You get out of your comfort zone and you step out in faith. Or as Jesus put it, in Matthew chapter 5, you get out of the shaker, get out of the salt shaker. Because here's what he tells us, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, Let your light shine before men, Jesus said, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So you pray, you look, and you step out. And there's one other little homework assignment for this week. So the first one is to pray for two people. Here's the second one. I want you to just spend some time, spend a half an hour to an hour, just thinking about the situations, the people that God put into your life that brought you to a place where you trusted Christ as your Savior. You think about the people that he brought in your life when you were a long way. Maybe you could say you were a negative 10 on the continuum. You were way away from God and far from trusting in his son as your hope for this life and the next. You think about all the different links in the chain, the different people that took you from that negative 10 to the place where you came to faith in Christ. You think about those who've helped you grow as a follower of Christ. And then what I'd encourage you to do is on your way out, I hope there's still some left. These have been going like hotcakes. But grab a thanks card. Thanks for walking across the room. Encourage someone today by writing them a letter, a card, expressing your ultimate thanks for their walk across the room in your life. Well, this is the stuff that we were talking about in staff meeting. And uh, as we were, um, I just invited some of the staff to just share a little bit about who took a walk across the room in their life. And so 
I, I, I heard a great story. We all did in staff meeting, and I wanted you to hear it as well. So Julie, Julie Stinson, come on up here. Let me grab a couple stools. And uh, thanks for sharing your story. Now, you know, this isn't very fair. Here, Julie started working at Door Creek two weeks ago as one of our new administrative assistants. And what is she going to say when I asked her, would you like to share this weekend? I, mean, this is I really think this bad. is a good time to ask for a raise. Yeah, okay. <laughs> good, good. Smart. Good hire. Julie, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Um, My husband's name is Troy, and we've been married 13 years, and we have a son, Zach, who's 11, and Kelsey, who is 9, and Isaac, who is duck hunting with my husband, who's 7. He just watches, don't worry. (laughs) Good, good. And we've lived in Cottage Grove for 13 years. All right. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what was going on in your life when people started walking across the room for you every time I talk it's different so I have to remember where to go Um, well it started 11 years ago Um, I was working full-time and had my first child and um, was the first of my group of friends to have a child so um, decided to stay home full-time and Um, unfortunately my son didn't like to sleep and I was very sleep deprived and my husband Troy who works at Strand um, was venting to Scott Stearns about what to do what what could he do he didn't know what to do and um, Scott Stearns graciously asked if he could give our number to his what his wife Lisa Stearns and um, if we would be okay if she called me. And, of course, my husband was all for that. So um, she called me, Lisa did, and invited me over. And must have worked out the sleepless night problem because um, they had a son that had that problem also. And I am sleeping now. He's 11, so. (laughs) Um, She just invited me over, um, uh, she has uh, is filled with God's love, and um, to her, uh, it comes so naturally to be hospitable and to invite people over. It's like breathing to us, uh, just a warm, loving, uh, great friend, and um, invited me to Mops, uh, Mothers of Preschoolers here at Door Creek, and I was um, introduced to so many other women and connected with um, them. Good. And uh, about a year after you met Lisa, there were some really hard things that happened in your life with your mom. Tell us about that. Well, my mom had been ill, but we didn't um, think it was fatal. Um, But a year after I had been attending MOPS, um, she passed away 10 years ago on Christmas Day. Um, I Mm. struggled with why. um, Why did they let her um, leave the hospital Did she know she was dying? Uh, If she did, then why didn't she have us come Christmas morning? Instead, we were supposed to come Christmas night. So all these questions plagued me, and of course they plagued me at night. Um, Mm -hmm. So I had great anxiety and um, uh, was just really feeling empty. Mm -hmm. And at that point, Lisa invited you to start going to Bible study, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Lisa Stearns invited me to Greenhouse um, Bible study here at Door Creek Church, and um, at my table sat Melody Lynch, Jill Jones, Joan Evans, and Lisa Stearns. And I was just surrounded with wonderful Christian women who um, I longed to be like them. I longed to have that peace um, and that love that they had. And so something happened pretty significant in Joan Evans' kitchen. What Tell us about that. Yes, she invited me over. Um, it was just Lisa, Joan, and I, and they asked me if I would like to pray and accept Jesus into my life and into my heart, and that's what happened. Yeah. And, and now I understand that you're walking across the room as a table Host, uh, hostess in mops, and so the very things that God used in your life, you're, you're following in those steps. Yes, I just graduated from mops, and now I'm a mentor. <laughs> I asked Ruth Steiner, I said, are you sure this is where no, I'm supposed great. to be? Now, here's, here's what I think is really significant about Julie's story. It was um, a serious case of sleep deprivation, that got her wanting some help. How do I get this little guy, Zach, some sleep so we can get some sleep? And isn't it interesting? It was the very circumstance that Lisa and Scott Stearns had been through with their oldest that really became the bridge that allowed them to have the conversation. Um, And so I think that should encourage some of us right now that are going through something really hard and we're going, why? What What is the deal here? There's a lot of different answers to that, but one of them that we need to remember today is maybe I'm going to meet somebody who's going through this same thing and I can introduce them to God through their hard thing. I think it's also important to to think that, you know, this happened over two years. This didn't happen like, yeah, okay, let me tell you about how to get your kid to bed and by the way, here's the four spiritual laws and would you like to see Christ as your savior? It was a relationship over time. And a lot of kindnesses that went on. A lot of different steps. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, Julie was watching these women who, even though they didn't think they maybe were taking steps, were taking steps by simply living out a spirit-filled life. What did we hear Julie talk about? Their peace, their joy, their love, and how that was drawing you to their Savior. And uh, what a cool thing to just realize that the story that Julie's talking about is a story that so many of us right here in this room can share and that we hope in the years to come, many, many more people be sitting right up here, standing up here, talking about their story of grace, how it was through someone like you who took a walk across the room to change their life forever. And let's pray together. And thanks, Julie. Lord, we thank you for your son, our savior, who took the ultimate walk. We bless you, Lord Jesus, for all that that means. Lead us and prompt us this week by your spirit. Fill us with your love and compassion. May we be people who go and tell through our actions and through our words that you are great. And may we see people enter into your family as we trust you, Lord and point to your son, in whose name we pray, amen.